You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuts. All right, folks, almost to the end of season five. And uh, once in a while, I get a great treat of having my guests in person. And not only that, but two guests. So today we've got two guests. We're going to have a great discussion. Our first guest is the good doctor, Angie Ward. <laughs> Uh, Angie's the assistant director of the Doctor of Ministry program at Denver Seminary. Been, mm-hmm. been there a little while, but probably most of you who know Angie know her as somebody who's been, uh, I would describe as a fierce advocate of women in leadership mm-hmm. for a long time. So had a book come out recently with NAV Press. It's called I Am a Leader, When Women Discover the Joy of Their Calling. Also, we have Emily Noss with us. Emily is a pastor at our church. She came up through our internship program and basically, you've worked in almost every department in the church at this point. <laughs> yeah, I've been around. Yeah. It's been fun. <laughs> and you've had many bosses and many of us as your boss at the same time. It's true. And you're still here to talk about it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and what I love about this combination is um, Emily and Angie connected a while ago. And so Angie is uh, one of Emily's mentors. I almost asked my daughter Kaylee to join us. Kaylee's 13. Oh, that would have been fun. Emily is Kaylee's mentor. Mm-hmm. It would have been kind of fun. That would have been awesome. But then there wouldn't have been enough of me. I just oh, would have been too demanding. That's right. <laughs> I, I don't know what I to do. I hear a lot of talking and none of it's me. Yeah, that's, I get all anxious. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Wait, I know a book about non-anxious. I've yeah, heard about that book. It, yeah. yeah, I've it's heard about good. it. It's pretty good. All right. So, hey, welcome to the show. Angie, let's start with you. Um, tell us about what got you into ministry in the early days. Well, the, I mean, the obvious answer is God, but um, I've been doing, I started out doing youth ministry. So in college, I was, um, well, in high school, I was very impacted by my youth pastor and his wife. And so always had a bit of a bent toward that, but all, and wanted to work with teens, but then didn't really know that that was a path like at a church for me. So I, so I looked at like teaching high school or coaching sports and was then sports writer, but then um, when I was junior year of college, uh, God just clearly said, I want you to work with people and not just write about them, which is fun because now I re- write books too. So started out youth ministry and then went to like from there to leadership development more broadly for the church. So I've been doing this for a while, largely kind of wanting to, the example that my youth pastor and his wife were to me at that time in Wisconsin. Yeah. And then uh, what kind of era was that? When did you get started in? Um, so that was late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Yeah. So then were you in a movement of churches that already recognized women in leadership officially? No, not at all. I grew up uh, in a denomination that, um, I mean, like our youth pastor's wife was very involved, but they were a team. So, I mean, she wasn't not able to be involved. And yeah. then I went to our denominational college, and but where there were no restrictions at the college, there was a seminary affiliated with that, and there I think women had more struggle in the classroom. But in the the professors that I had in the youth ministry Christian education side, they never – we didn't talk about it. It was just kind of, yeah, if this is what God's calling you to do, great, we'll train you for it, you know, kind of thing. Do you have an early example of when you suddenly discovered you were running into some kind of limitation? Hmm, that's a great question. I It wasn't until – um, I don't know about a limitation, but an awareness that 
um, it was a big deal to people when I got to Denver Seminary, which is where I got my master's and now we're living back here. And so somebody said, did you come to Denver Seminary because it's egalitarian? And I didn't, hmm. I was, I don't know what that, I said, no, God called me here. I have no idea what that, you know, is. And yeah. it was a big um, emotional thing for a lot of women, you know, and, and then I heard about men being upset that some women were in allowed to take the theology classes or be master of divinity students. And that was just a, a whole new, wait, that that's a thing. Yeah. You know? Why is this a problem? Yeah. And then actually there was one before that I went from college. I worked, worked at a Christian camp in Northern Wisconsin for a year and, um, we'd have groups come in, you know, all the time I was on staff. And so there was, we would, I guess, present the gospel, do like a talk. Um, and and so somebody asked me to do it, but I then got wind that several of the other staff weren't thrilled about it. Not the, like it was like, they said, we don't have anything against you. It's just that you doing it would take away from the opportunity for a man to do it. <laughs> yes. And I just, like oh I had God. no slot to, like that makes no sense to me. So how is that not personal, you know? And mm-hmm. so uh, it, I just had these odd, like, What? you know, kind of thing. But I also didn't, you know, Emily, you're a pastor. I didn't want, I never felt God calling me at the time to be a pastor. And so youth ministry was definitely a more acceptable path. Yeah, right. At that time. Christian education, you know, those were all acceptable. Children's ministry. Children's ministries, pastors. And then I married a guy who ended up being a pastor. So of course, you know, I was a great pastor's wife, you know. (laughs) Emily's laughing because she knows... (laughs) How not great a pastor's life I am. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I went to college in uh, 1992. It was a great school. But I think in the same way that it was like, it wasn't overtly stated, but it was like in the air. Yes. So if women preach, is that okay? Uh, And then preaching and leadership were the two triggers. Yes. And one of my favorite moments was, because I I think I was raised by a feminist, so I'm not sure that, and I wasn't raised in the church, so I wasn't raised with some of these assumptions. Yeah. So we had a missionary at the time, I think she was in Zimbabwe. I may have the country wrong, but she was in Africa. She's in New Zealand now. Her name is Jill Shaw. She was one of, we were very proud of her as an alumni. She'd come back, speak in chapel. She's like a hero of ours. Yeah. And she got up in chapel and preached. And the first thing she said is, look, I know some of you are not interested in hearing what I'm saying because I'm a woman. And you're probably even wondering about me as a single woman in Africa being a missionary preaching the gospel. I tell you what, why don't you come over and do it so I don't have to? Oh, That's yeah. how she so started. Did she like, the yeah. Mic? yeah, exactly. Great. Yeah. yeah. I also remember when I worked at the camp, it was it was less about like I could do the roles, but I'd hear these veiled comments about strong women and how that wasn't okay. And so it was more, and I got it more from other women yep. than from men. I got it from other pastors' wives. I got it from our camp director's wives, from some staff wives. Like they they <laughs> didn't know what to do with me more. The other, Sometimes the guys were more like, it was more of a function thing. She can do this. We're, there's a need. We're going to do this, you know, kind of thing, especially at camp parachurch ministry. But it was more like, my personality and who I was wasn't okay, even if the position was acceptable. Right, and so that made me much more question who who I am. Like I was not okay. My personality was not okay. Was and, somehow deficient. Yes, exactly. So I tried to be more meek and mild and gentle. And yeah, it wasn't until like in you know after college, after seminary, God was finally just went like, "You're a leader," which is where the title of my book came from. He's like, "This I she made you leads. this way." Yeah, yeah. Own it. Yeah. 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 Okay. And that I was like, but that's why I don't fit in with 
you know, typical, I don't know, pastor's wives or I'd go to these pastor's conferences with my husband and I was just as interested in going to the workshops and he was very supportive of that too. But then I went to the pastor's wives seminar and I was like, these are not my people. Yeah. Right. The whole supportive role thing versus And I didn't wear pink pantsuits. I just didn't fit in with them either. They all had a look to them. And there was all this like, this bring back the joy. They were this happy kind of like, I don't know, there was an... There's an inauthenticity of some of it, not all of them, of course, you know, and and I was just like, I, I remember writing my journal, like taking notes at this conference and going, here's the ways I'm not like these people. Hmm. I don't do children's ministry. I do youth ministry. I don't play piano. I play guitar and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like on the more rocking out on the worship team. I'm a jock, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't sew my own like I really, from our church in Indiana, where we just left, one of our staff wives said at a previous church they were at, some people went up to her at that church and said, now you need to learn how to play piano. And they were serious. Wow. Yeah. So there was a lot of pastor's wifely ex- expectations too. Do you have a theological position on Hobby Lobby, whether you should go in there, buy things from there? <laughs> theological. Uh, that takes too long to, yeah. <laughs> it's only if it's a good deal. It's hard to yeah, navigate. Yeah, I'm completely utilitarian about it, yeah. It, it is hard to navigate, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hobby Lobby. I feel like you would look really good in a pink pantsuit, though. I think that yeah, your yeah. hair could yeah, totally I feel like you're judging it before oh, trying yeah. it because you've not tried it <laughs> yeah. yet. Yeah, maybe just like a different shade of pink. Do you do headshots for like this thing? Are you going to try to Photoshop a pink <laughs> pantsuit on me? We are me? now. We, yeah. I didn't think about Should it until you mentioned it. It was all during like the Hillary era, you know, right. so everybody's wearing these the pants suits. Yeah, mm-hmm. a power yeah. pants suit. I don't have a power pants suit. Mm. Yeah. Maybe that was my problem. We should go shopping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Emily, you've been in ministry a few years. You're an ordained yeah. pastor. We actually ordained you. Yep. Um, I have openly said to you, and I'm happy to say you're one of the most powerful pastors I know, which I'm sure always makes you uncomfortable. But it's part of <laughs> yep, the I am you. trying my best to not outwardly feel that way, but yes, yeah, <laughs> but I really that. appreciate it. Yeah. So for our listeners, Emily's one of our preachers. Actually, right now, she's the second most common preacher on our stage. And I remember the first time Emily preached, I think you were 24. Do you remember how old you were? I'm 24 right now. Okay, you were 24. <laughs> um, so I was, 16. I think I was about 21 or 22. 22, yeah. 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 And I just remember I was quite stunned. I was like, holy smokes, like this person is so much further along than I was at yeah. that like at that age. She's great. Uh, and then also just your pastoral ability with people. So with that little wind up, um, how did you get into ministry? So I grew up in a church, a denominational church that um, outwardly said in their doctrine that they valued women as pastors, but I never really saw that played out. The only woman pastor that I knew in our denomination was my junior high pastor, and she was amazing. Her name is Terry, and she's great, but she wasn't like counted as one of the main leaders. Um, like sh- I've, I remember that she was left out of a few meetings and she wasn't, she was a volunteer, um, there, but she put a lot of time and effort into me as a junior hire. And so I was kind of thrown into leadership. The person that was leading our youth worship band team had left like kind of out of the blue to West Nebraska. <laughs> and my youth pastor called me, I was about, um, I was 14, my first um, semester in high school, he called me and he was like, Hey, so this happened and you're the only one with potentially potential to help me with this. (laughs) So can you please help me? (laughs) 
And I was like, oh my gosh, you need me. Of course I can do that um, because I have a savior complex. <laughs> and uh, so I learned a lot through there and I learned how to lead kind of just by getting thrown into the position. And so I did that for the next four years. Um, our worship pastor had quit my junior year. So I had st started doing things on Sunday morning as well. And I think it was there where I noticed that I wanted to do something in ministry um, because it kind of was my whole life. Like that was what I revolved around. Um, but I didn't know that I could be a pastor. Um, I interned at a church. It was kind of like a weird charismatic Lutheran mix, which is very interesting coming out of my mouth. But um, at that church, if I were to get a master's in divinity, which is what I'm getting now, um, I would not be able to baptize people or serve communion, um, like initiate communion because I was a female. And so that kind of like rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and simultaneously, as I was an intern at this church, and they taught me a lot of really good things. We just didn't see <laughs> eye to eye on this subject, but I was taking a Paul class, um, a Paul and his letters class at my college. And the professor that I had was showing us um, biblical examples of women leaders and examples where people who interpreted the Bible had actually had a bent on being um, complementarian and not um, wanting females to be in leadership. So they twisted the words of the sentences. Yeah, you're probably talking specifically about Junia. Yes, yep. In the end of Romans, who is a, Paul describes as a, if I remember right, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, a fellow apostle yep. and a co-laborer in prison, right? I think mm -hmm. Junia was mm -hmm. doing prison time with Paul. Yep. Talk about the Billy Graham rule. Totally. That wasn't <laughs> right. working right. so well. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but then they translated it to Junius to make it a masculine name. Mm -hmm. Is yep. that right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And then there was this other example. <laughs> I always get Priscilla and Aquila and the people that died because they didn't. Ananias and the fire. I always yeah. get them mixed up. I think it's Priscilla and Aquila, right? They're the ones um, who yeah. didn't die. They're the good yeah, ones. Okay, yeah, okay. They're the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we talked about that verse as well where Paul writes that they are outstanding among the apostles, but in some translations it's formed as like they're the apostles' biggest cheerleaders or something yeah. like that. So yeah. it was during that class where I realized I was like, okay, maybe I can be a pastor. And then I came here and, you know, I was very surprised <laughs> at how much authority I would be able to participate in. And honestly, um, Steve, like during the time that I've known you, you've been such an empower and encourager to me. And I have grown so much at this church. Um, and I've grown to be confident in my leadership, which has been mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. We, and what's interesting, it's not like, I think other staff would say this, it's not like we're looking for women to empower. Right. We're just looking for anybody with leadership gifts yep. to empower and you happen to be one of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what was surprising? I think the amount of like the chances that I was able to have as a 20, 21, 22 year old. Yeah. You're like yeah, second, young leader yes. you're like getting second authority. in line preacher. Right. You're right. not even done with seminary. I mean, that's yeah. right. And as a woman, that's just amazing. That's wonderful. Yeah. Like I don't, yeah. I don't think, thank you. I don't think I, I, I don't know of a church where I would be able to do that. Yeah. And what's in it from my chair, if you weren't very good at it, there's no way we'd be letting you do Like it's not, yeah. Uh, in fact, our elders and I, we've had a lot of conversation as we launched this internship program, the tension between excellence and development. Right. 
And at one point, the elders were right. They actually stepped in. I don't think I've even told you this, Emily. But a few years ago, and they're like, hey, you're too much on the development spectrum. <laughs> we need to step up the excellence from what we do. Hmm. All right. So, so okay, let me testify a little bit. Like my big sister brought me to Christ. She would be a, a fairly strong feminist, a big influence on my life. And so I came into Discovery, and Discovery actually wasn't sure where they landed on leadership. Mm-hmm. And the thing I loved about this church is they said, we're going to hire a new pastor. We're all going to figure it out together. And I love that they didn't say, we're going to figure it out and bring in the person who agrees. So we all went through a two-year journey. I'd already mostly made my mind up from seminary. Mm. We landed. We wouldn't say we're egalitarian. I think we would steal Scott McKnight and say we're mutualists. Mm-hmm. We just believe that if you lead a gifted to lead, go ahead and lead. Great. So I'm all proud of myself and our, <laughs> you know, our mutualist ways. And then the Me Too movement happens. Mm. And that was around, I want to say, 2017. That sounds right. 2020's messed up everybody's I know, sense I can't of remember. time. So, yeah. But it's not that long ago. No, right. And that was when I began a new education in what I don't know as a man. Hmm. And I think the problem I had had is seminary and then early church. I'm like, okay, we're, we're, we're in, we're good. But suddenly I'm starting to understand gender dynamics in a meeting Mm-hmm. the amount of women who always notice when the, they're the only woman in the room. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was blind to all of that. And, and what happened to me is a, a friend of mine who's a pastor and she sat a group of guys down and she led us into her world. Mm. We, we'd been friends for years. Hmm. And she said, I'm actually, I've, I've never done this. I'm going to let you as men into my world. And we were blown away mm. by the innuendo, the sometimes even just overt sexual requests Mm. in the church Mm. and so she's telling us these stories and we're saying things like i remember i said that's unbelievable Mm. i remember that phrase she stopped and looked at me and she said that's the problem Mm. is decent guys are blind and when you say that's unbelievable i know you believe me but what you're saying is i don't believe you Mm -hmm. so i don't say that anymore but i would love to hear from you guys what do you know about leading in any kind of faith movement that the average guy does not know or that I don't know? That's a great question. Uh, well, one thing I think is just the, I mean, you've already alluded to just some of the uh, the jokes about being the secretary and stuff like that, yeah, you know, and so there's still this kind of, um, I worked with a network of churches in North Carolina and, and usually I'd say it first so I could kind of break the tension about it, you know, kind of thing, but... I'm afraid sometimes to be fully my—I I, I feel a tension between um, do I present as one of the guys? I've had to go, like, what does it look like for me to be fully female and feminine and a leader, not just one of the guys, or not, but not get dismissed as an emotional woman, you know, yep. kind of thing? And, and as a strong woman, there's a lot of other very— not nice words that are used for someone with my personality, you know? And so there's this constant tension of, can I fully be myself? Is that a a safe space? So that's one of them. I guess I'll just start with throwing one out there. Good. Yeah, you're you're talking about if you're too assertive, because you, Angie, I, I think you're a primary leader, right? You would generally be in the primary leadership role. And so then people would give you, if I'm hearing you right, you have less room before someone says you're bitchy. Yes, absolutely. Whereas a man, it it would we're given more room and we're a strong leader. Is that yeah? Boring? And it usually the default is that it's a positive trait, and to the woman, it's generally defaults to being a negative trait. Right. In my experience, yeah. would you say that? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So you'd, you'd have to diminish yourself a little bit, shapeshift. Is what. Yeah, or I have to, I have to kind of like feel the waters. I have to almost. test the waters and kind of, yeah, um, you know, ease in gently and kind of build some trust, you know, kind of thing. I, you know, I, I like a good, a strong male leader usually comes in with, uh, say, like a, a sports coach. They come in with like that's considered a positive thing, and people automatically say this is great. And that's with what it women, takes to win games. Yep, Bobby yeah. Knight, flip the chair. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so for women, it's just. You know, it's, it's, she's out of control. Yeah, exactly. And like, wow, she's really strong, you know. Good. Totally. And when you say, um, that you come out with the joke first, sometimes just to test the waters, I feel like I've done that so many times. Like it's almost a defense mechanism so that I can address the crowd. Like I can be the first one to say something. So everybody else doesn't feel awkward. Right. Yeah. It's, I've, as you say that I've. I remember sometimes where I've um, done that. Yeah, as I'm listening to this, it's it's a sophisticated form of imposter syndrome, is what yeah. you're describing. Yeah, yeah. 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 kind of the, the elephant in the room yeah. all the time too. Yep, so, totally. Yeah. yeah, say more, Emily. Yeah, so <laughs> it's kind of funny when I started seminary, I was really excited about going, um, and I quickly figured out how insecure and imposter syndrome. I felt. Um, I am normally a really talkative person. I'm pretty extroverted and I uh, love to meet new people. Um, I'm used to people knowing who I am. And Steve's smiling right now because we went through this journey for like a semester. Um, The first semester of school, I didn't talk to anybody and I had no friends. And I would go from class back to um, where I lived because I had a community there. And I felt content for a little bit. And then I was just so angry all the time. But I think some of it had to do with me trying to figure out, okay, how do I present myself in a room full of mostly males who are older than me? And I feel like I'm really good at caring for people, but I don't feel as smart as I feel like I should be in seminary. So it was a really good growing moment for me. A lot of times when I would go to class, I would dress up like two notches more than I felt mm. like I didn't wear sweatpants. <laughs> um, because so I would like, why? What did that do? I just felt like I needed to be professional, I guess. Yeah, it's like um, the dressing for an interview. It's like dress yeah. stage or two higher than or fancier yep. to gain credibility. Totally. And to look the part almost. And I, I think I started to realize some of my patterns after um, a lot of um, my coaching with you on how to be confident in who I was and how to put myself out there um, and be okay with just who God has made me to be and to continue to grow in that. Yeah. Uh, Katie Cole does a lot of coaching of women in leadership mm-hmm. and, and her book, um, Developing Female Leaders, is mm-hmm. so good. It is. She said something when she was on the show the percentage of confidence a man needs when he's applying for something, he needs a certain amount of confidence to say, I think I can apply for this job. Mm-hmm. And it was something like 20%. I don't remember hmm. the number, but he then can fudge his way up to the rest. And that she said that for a woman, a woman typically needs about 90%. Wow, I believe it. Yeah, does that, that resonate right. with you guys? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so she was saying one of the issues is that, is that internal form of imposter syndrome because men will just say, well, I'll give it a shot. And if I don't make it, no big deal. Whereas mm-hmm. women say, I'm not even going to put myself out there. There's no chance I'll get it. Yep. Yeah. I wonder how we how we flip that. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. All right. Well, we can leave that. Yeah, let's leave that one there. <laughs> leave that I'm going to be thinking about that. Angie, you, you've been in this space now. My math 
while hosting a podcast and doing simple arithmetic is hard. So, That's right. So 30, 30 ish years. Okay, 30 yeah. something years. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm 50. I just turned 50. So there you go. It's out there. You don't have to ask. <laughs> is it, uh, you think it's getting better? In some circles, yeah. I think the um, it's a wake up call to a lot of women who are growing up in a society that are saying you can do and be anything. You know, it's like be like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, be like Amal Clooney, you know, be, I don't know, pick your strong, you know, voice woman. And then they get in the church and they it was like, wait, what? Yep. You know, kind of thing. And it's not in all pockets of the church. So I think there's more openness in some places to conversation. So that's really good. Um, I think they still just run into this wall usually in church and ministry context. Would that be, I mean, you're a the younger Oh, totally. Generation. Yeah. I think being in Colorado, I've met so many more female pastors than I did when I was in the Midwest. I think in the Midwest is kind of still yeah. a taboo topic to some degree. Um, but being out here has been refreshing because I feel like people are more open to that. Yeah. So, I mean, it depends denominationally and yeah. what, your, what your theological yeah. you know, bent is and just part of the country for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Let's talk about the Billy Graham rule, um, uh, also known as the Mike Pence rule nowadays. Yes. Um, okay, so in my the the Me Too movement, I'm I'm thinking, oh, I need to reset and go on a new learning journey. Hmm. And it was the same journey I went on when I was in seminary. I had a great professor from Ethiopia taught us liberation theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so great. So I came into uh, Charlottesville with the Black Riots, thinking I was already aware. Mm. And so I've I've also been on a reset journey of privilege, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. so I remember being taught privilege in seminary. So I thought, okay, well, now I know it. Right. But no, still a long way to go. So with women in leadership, um, I started sitting down having conversations with some of the women on our staff. I think, Emily, this was before you were with us. What do you think about the Billy Graham rule? What do you think? Because we had it. Mm-hmm. We did it. And we we're very strict about it. Mm. And some of the women said, I really appreciate it. It's, I so appreciate the boundaries. And other women said, why in the world do you think we're such a tempstress? Right. Like how weak do right. you have to be as a man? Right. Um, and so we relaxed it. And then uh, Katie Cole again, she said to me, yeah, like in the days of same-sex attraction, it's also hypocritical. Yeah. As if somebody who's not same-sex attracted wouldn't be sure. in the room alone. So we have relaxed. We, we've done, we've tried to do two things. One is I try not to take men out alone. I try to take groups of people out. Yeah. Because hmm. I noticed that was a double standard. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is sometimes I'm alone with a woman and I just try not to make a habit of it. Yep. It's, yeah. it's like I'm not going to be in the habit of this one person one-on-one. I'd love to get your guys' take on it and what, what I just said too, if that's good, because I think we're still learning at our church what to do. I remember when I was working at this camp and uh, one of my coworkers, and he would, became like a brother to me. He was just you know a little bit older. We were doing program staff. And one time we had to run into town, which was 25 minutes away from where we, you know, we were in the middle of nowhere, to get some supplies for something. And, and the director's wife was just like, oh, that is so inappropriate. How could you, you know, like, what could, and I'm going, this is, it's not some, it's my friend, brother. Mike, you know, and Mike was like, what in the world, you know? And so it was just, again, stunning to me that that was such a strong. And so, yeah, I'm with the people who've said to you, like, what, what is it that's, I'm such a seductress that, right. you know, and there is a theological bent that says like Eve was first into sin and, and right. that's really what guides that 
you know, principle and practice to it. So. It's the pink pantsuit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe, yeah that, that conveys my power. Yeah. It's exactly. a deadly I just, I remember um, a, a leader that I really respect, a woman, she said the way to make, um, let's see, weak men strong is not by making strong women weak. Hmm. I like and that. And so we don't need to push down. I mean, in my ideal world, both men and women are flourishing, you know, and are not considered the weaker sex or, I mean, they're, they're different, but they're not, it's not a stronger weakness. Yeah. I'm also thinking my friend Don Wilson though, Don Wilson, when he's coaching pastors, he says, look, uh, you form into sexual bad habits. If you have a lot of money, you're really good looking or a lot of power. Hmm. And he says, now let's look at pastors. First two are out. We don't have money <laughs> and most of us are ugly. He says, but spiritual power is a real thing yeah. and it is attractive. I think that's the pushback on this, that, as much as women aren't seductresses and men aren't so weak as to make a, you know, a trip, an errand, and then suddenly find a hotel. Right, right. It's right, unlikely. Exactly. It's unlikely. But there is, I think that's where the ongoing nature, I think there is a guardrail piece. I just don't know where the line is because there is a spiritual power that becomes intimate that I think you have to be careful of. Well, and I think there, I mean, I'm very aware that with the Me Too movement now, I think the power has shifted culturally that I could walk into a room and make a false accusation and I will right. be believed right. and That's you're right. out of a job. That's right. Uh, my job is mostly dependent on my reputation and it can be ruined like that. And my wife and I talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very aware that it's shifted and that's, I don't think that's fair to you guys either, you know? Emily, what do you got for us? Yeah, on this? I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> um, I thought I knew what I was going to say, and then you threw that wrench in, and I was like, "Oh man." Um, I think that what you were talking about, Angie, like I think if the other party doesn't make it weird, I think generally speaking, women don't want to make it weird. Like Steve, you and I have driven in a car together going to Denver Seminary. Like it wouldn't make sense for us to drive two cars right. from point A to point B. I've had lunch with my boss before who is a man. And um, as long as he doesn't make it weird, I don't make it weird. Um, and I, I think where I appreciate our church's stance on the Billy Graham rule is that comparatively, if I look at our staff pastorally um, and really most other churches, the general um, consensus is that the majority of the pastors are men. And, um, when I'm looking for like a mentor or something like that, my chances of finding a female pastor on staff are very rare. Yeah. So like if I were a male in my position, I would have like a plethora of opportunity to meet the right pastor mentor. Um, so I appreciate that I'm still able to find that mentorship in, um, male pastors. So I appreciate that a lot. Um, I think you're right that there has to be some sort of like accountability piece there. I'm just not sure what it is. <laughs> I think it's awesome. I think it's just open communication. So yeah. like um, my boss is a, a man. And so we had to drive one time for us to Golden, which I said, so what, you know, how do you How's handle that? Work? What do you think of the Billy Graham rule? And he said, and he actually wrote a biography about Billy Graham when he was for Christian Today. Marshall, yeah. I love Marshall. And, yeah. And, and he said, I just think, is it, I, you know, he said, I think it's, I don't know if he said it's ridiculous, but he just, you know, it's like, it's just... I think we can survive a trip to Golden. Yeah, we can survive. And, right. but it also helps that Dave, my husband, is friends with Marshall and with Susan, and there's open communication all this. So I said, totally. told Dave, hey, Marshall and I are driving out to meet this other colleague, 
you know, in golden kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so there was nothing secretive or, you know, about it. It was just like, this is how it works for this Pragmatic. time. And sometimes Dave and I, because he's a pastor, yeah. so he's wrestled with this as well. So he'll, you know... Um, you know, he had a woman one time who was writing, you know, I haven't told anybody this before, right. like the secretive type right. stuff. And so to bring all that stuff out in the open, just really, yeah, that's um, good. um, un- unpowers, yeah, whatever. It takes it the takes power, the power away Right. And, and so yeah. he said to me, I just want to let you know, this woman is doing this stuff and you can see these letters and I'm telling her this is not appropriate, you know, kind of thing. And so there are some pieces of like... You know, he's been at a church uh, as an intern in California where there was like, okay, why is a senior pastor meeting with women at eight at night and right. study alone and nobody else is around? You know, there's stuff like that. It's like, mm, hello, you know. Yeah, that's right. Like I do some pastoral counseling, but if they need that level of discretion, they need a therapist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They don't need to go see their pastor. Yeah, and it's interesting as I'm listening to you guys, like it also occurs to me, there's been a handful of times over the years where Lisa will simply come to me, my wife, and say, I'm not comfortable about that person like this. And I just have always believed her. Like she knows something I don't know. And that I think would be the other transparency piece. Yeah, and I, my mentor, one of my mentors, he, you know, he'll, he has told his wife in the past, like, um, I'm I'm afraid I could be attracted to her. So I'm telling you now, and I'm not going to meet with her. Yeah. I'm just like, and so that takes a lot of courage, I think, yep. and self-awareness to, you know, not to go, well, I, I can spiritualize my way out of this or just to go, I'm a, I'm a weak person, Yep. you know, and I know this tendency, you know, I've seen this and, oh, this scares me. Yeah. Or you're a strong person. I, I remember well, right. when I did crisis intervention in Las Vegas, a lot of single mothers in desperation would come in for help. Yeah. And I remember saying to Lisa, I'm like, man, there's something in me that wants to rescue a young, helpless single mother. So I need to be really careful. And it's got nothing to do with them. It's not, it's not that single mother's problem, but for me to mitigate. Yeah. Here's a final question on this topic. I, I don't know how to ask it, um, so I'm going to try it. <laughs> As a man running a staff that I don't know what our percentage is, but we have a lot of men and a lot of women. I was thinking, Emily, when you said, I think we have four or five ordained women as pastors. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. counting them now. Yeah, um, I think you're right. So we're probably more men than women, but it's it's probably close to 50-50, I think, right. across the board. I've watched as a man, women on my staff treat women badly hmm. and men on my staff generally not. So what I'm confused as as a guy is when there are certain kinds of women that bully each other mm-hmm. or power over power over another woman in a completely aggressive way and then when we call them on it, they pull the card you mentioned, Angie. I'm not saying you're pulling the no, card, right, but right. they'll say, this is what happens is people say I'm bitchy. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, that's because you are bitchy. Right. <laughs> Which yeah. you can't say as a pastor. <laughs> right, right. You're not supposed to at least. But that's what's going on is I watch the behavior. I'm like, you're an ass. Yep. Yeah. It's, you're not actually assertive. You're bullying. Yeah. Have you guys run into this? Because this was surprising to me. I've I've talked with one of this mentor that I mentioned. He's, you know, um, this friend. And so we've... He's talked about how do I, he's had a woman in that position who will pull that card, you know, and so he's like, I, I feel like I, you know, I'm in a no win kind of thing. And, and, he, and he's like, and she's got amazing gifts and I would like to make it work. But, it, you know, at some point I, she's just got to, everything becomes an, um, this card or like they, there's no benefit of the doubt given right. by yep. the woman. So it's, it's just very, t- it's immediately takes offense. 
I think in, I'm thinking of one particular woman. So now any of my staff listening to this are wildly curious. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of it was... Emily, what, we need to talk to you. <laughs> it's me. Yeah. Right. Um, I think it was the kind of upbringing they had. They had to fight and scrap their way. Yeah. That The way I described it to her, and it didn't go well. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because I'm doomed from the start because I'm a man. Right. And because you're in that position of power. Is, I mean, there's so many... Power dynamics. Dynamics in there that make you not a safe person to have that conversation. Yeah. And so for my curious people, this person hasn't been on staff for a long time. But I, I said, it's like you don't have a governor on your engine. I had to use a mechanical metaphor. Right. What can you say? Right. You, you don't have a governor. You're zero to 60, you know, like, right. and other people seem to have a governor where she would just ramp up so quickly. I, I call this stub toe kind of phenomenon. And so mm. it's like you have a stub toe and you bump it anytime and it just, oh, you know, this. Right. And yeah, of course, it's on audio because you couldn't see the, the reaction I just did. It's with a very my, good impression you know, of a stub toe. Yeah. yeah. Just like this, ah, you yeah. know, kind of thing. And, and so, you know, how do you help your staff? Like, that's part of my own responsibility is to go, okay, why is this, you know, why is this? Nicola event causing a $500 yeah, reaction. That's right. You know, yeah. kind of thing. That's, and, that's really good. And being aware of that. But then when, you know, and so when you're, if you're coming, you know, that's out of their woundedness, we yeah. all come by our stuff, honestly, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, yeah. and so, so, it's, you know, it's more like how do we create an environment for our staff to feel safe or find safe people to work through that stuff, you know, because then it just becomes you against her. And now yeah. her button head, it, you know, kind of thing. I'm bumping knuckles. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It just becomes for her more of the same. Another right. dude putting me in my place. Therefore, I have to fight even harder. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it could be conflict management style too, or if it's, you know, it's a person who's a win-lose, which is my style, you know, so I have to just go, wait, this is not, you know, even taking feedback when I tend to take it as a personal attack or, you know, kind of thing. And so it goes back to my stuff of like the messages that I took in when I was, you know, so, so I'm aware of it. It still triggers, but most of the time I can go, okay, like, okay, I see where that came from. You yeah. Know, but there's just, yeah, all those dynamics at play in the system, you know. Good. Great stuff. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I'm going to pivot. Um, Emily, I want to talk about the class that you went through, um, which is really the basis of this podcast, obviously. Uh, just if you had to explain what it is to someone, how would you describe it? <laughs> um, I would say um, the class is called Leadership Community. Um, it's really well named. It's stunningly named. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We're in a community and we learn about leadership. Did, did you have a focus group so great. come up with that name? I spent so much time and money on the branding alone. <laughs> right, exactly. yeah. It should be trademarked now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say my first reaction when you said that, when you asked me that question is <laughs> that it's a pre- counseling class. Um, I think a lot of people who have gone through this material have seen, um, like myself, that we have stuff to work on mm. that can make us better leaders. Um, so for example, um, we go through genograms. We look at our family patterns and um, what we observe that we are doing um, that is either totally against our familial, familial patterns, um, or it's the same kind of pattern. Um, and we talk about um, situations in our life where we have felt anxiety and we can't get over that anxiety. And so we get to um, kind of dissect where that anxiety comes from. Um, we talk about empathy and what that means. And I'm a pretty empathetic person. And I've been told so many times that like I should not 
cry as, as much as I should, or I shouldn't like feel as deeply as I should. And so going through this class and learning about my emotions and how I handle them and everything, um, has been so good for me, but it's required <laughs> like more, um, in depth look, uh, look at myself. Yeah. yeah. And that's been really helpful because I feel like, um, from the time that I took this class when I was, I think 19 or 20 to where I am now, I don't think I would have been, um, as decent of a leader that I am now without this class, because now I'm more aware of how I come across to people and how I work through, um, problems and, I'm sensing that I have a lot more anger than I thought I did. And um, I don't know. I think that this class has showed me um, how to feel human and how to allow other people to feel human as I'm leading them um, and to just make space for them so we can figure out whatever problem or thing um, we need to deal with together. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. You're describing... I would say half of the class, which is how do I integrate what's going on under the surface into my leadership and my life yep. so that I can either harness it or keep it from taking over. Yep. Then the other half of the class is how do I walk into a room and notice what's going on between people? Right. Can you give us an example of where you learned that or a, um, a tool from the class that that was helpful in? Yeah, so um, actually in seminary, this has been really helpful. Um, we talk about how in a normal setting, there are people who speak all the time in meetings or classes or whatever. And there are people who never speak unless they're called on. And even if they're called on, they might not speak as well. And I think when we um, looked at that material, I was able to like kind of pinpoint the people in my class and not from a judgmental standpoint, but from a place of understanding them. So (laughs) I think before this class, I had very intense judgments on the people who would um, talk the most and I would find them so annoying and I would like kind of demonize who they were without even knowing anything about them. But now I was able to see like, oh, this is why this person is talking because they feel insecure about this or because they really like this subject. Like it's okay to talk in class. And I ended up being in seminary my first semester. I ended up being the person that never talked and I'm not usually that way. So yeah, it's been good to um, just learn about how people function in groups too. Yeah, yeah. So we train, we train our, our team on how do you walk into a room and notice, we call it the recurring predictable patterns. Yeah. So there's always the same people that speak up or never speak, but it's not just those patterns. It's also how people get stuck in recurring problems. And then we actually train you on how how sometimes your best solution makes it worse. Yep. And then how to break through, right? Yeah, so we call it leadership community. Um, but I actually, it's funny, Angie, you mentioned I've now branded it and it's now being called Capable Life. That's the name of it. So the first three letters of Capable Life, C-A-P, is calm, aware, present. So the whole class is helping you become a calm, aware, present leader. The big idea is when you're in the grip of anxiety, you're no longer able to see what's actually going on. You're being all reactive. and So Friedman's non-anxious presence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I've changed it from non-anxious presence, I mean, the grasshopper uh, tackling the guru, right? Friedman's the guru. (laughs) 
But I didn't like the phrase non-anxious presence because it gives the false impression that you're like Yoda. Yeah. Right. yeah. But actually, mm-hmm. you yeah. can be anxious and a calm presence. It's mm-hmm. it's managing it rather than... So I used to teach non-anxious yeah. presence and yeah. people would say, oh, wait a minute, it means you can actually be anxious? I'm like, oh, yeah, you can go in anxious, but you're managing it. So I bring all this up because we've been teaching this class, I think it's 10 years now at our church. And um, right now we're doing a, a beta list for any of our listeners who want to join. We've actually converted it to an online interactive community. We're launching in January. Yeah, it's really cool. Because I've been, like, you know, Emily, you've come along to some of yep. these. Um, I wrote the book and now I'm coming and speaking. But it's always a, a one-hour thing or a three-hour thing. So this online community, it's, it's going to be really cheap, but you'll get a little video a week. You'll get a self-assessment every week. Every month you'll get to Zoom with one of our facilitators, so like Renee and Jimmy and Brendan, people that Emily knows, who have been trained in all these materials. And then every other month there'll be a masterclass. So like Emily just briefly mentioned genograms. We'll actually do a whole masterclass on genograms and how to do them. So the reason I'm mentioning it, this is kind of an infomercial. Uh, <laughs> the beta rate is $22 a month. When it's released, it's going to be 36 a month for business. It's going to be 28 a month for individuals and nonprofits. But if you sign up before, I want to say it's December 4th. If I was a better marketer, I would know exactly. <laughs> I no, I don't believe in urgency marketing. I don't like like selling people. All I'm going to tell you is you go to capablelife.me, you can throw your name on the list and you'll get updates. And then when it's time to begin the beta in 1st of January, you'll get invited. So right now we have 100 people signed up. We've got seven different nations. That's awesome. It's been amazing. Yeah, Croatia, Madagascar. England, it's really cool. And of course, the motherland, yes, people from Australia signed that. up. Um, so, and it's not just for pastors, it's for anyone who wants, uh, the way we're saying it is calm aware presence in the workplace and in the home place. So you can sign up capablelife.me. That leads us to the final segment of the podcast. Angie's already tried to tunnel out of here. <laughs> Got to go. Uh, Look at the time. The gauntlet of anxiety questions. Uh, I've had this <laughs> described anxiety. uh as 50% proctological exam, 50% <laughs> roller coaster <laughs> ride. So What was the second part? 50% roller coaster ride. <laughs> All right. Like uh, you're a doctor. You yeah. can handle Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Angie's a doctor. Yeah, don't try this. Uh, <laughs> I'll start a question. We've got five questions and each of you can answer it or you can stare at you that other down. <laughs> the first one is dead simple. Sometimes leaders are the last to know when we're not okay. Who in your life knows before you know? Wow, I'm thinking about it. Um, very, I don't know that anybody does. I tell they, I, I have anxiety, I have managed anxiety and some depression. And so, but I'm so high functioning and so I can mask it. And, and so, um, I have a couple friends who will text and say, how are you? Yeah. But I don't know they would, and I, and I committed to being honest with them, but, um, you know, Dave, I have to say, I'm, I'm feeling kind of blue today. He'll go, I, I would have never didn't know. Know at all, okay, you know, because, because work life goes on and I just gotta, I mean, kind of thing. So, um, I don't know anybody does, but I do have people who ask me how yeah. I'm doing. Great. Emily, how about you? 
Um, I think the first person that comes to my mind is my best friend, Alex. Um, <laughs> I try to be high functioning. Sometimes it doesn't work very well. Um, but she has told me that I have a pattern that when I'm not doing well, I tend to drop everything that I have planned and start helping other people. So I just totally overfunction. function. Mm. B- because there's a need in there somewhere um, yeah. to feel productive or successful. Or to help or somebody so yep. you can feel better. Yep. I, yeah, I nitpick at Dave and I also have to get my something, I have to clean or organize something. Yeah. Okay. So those are, I think, the signals that Dave would probably have. Okay, that's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, here's the question. Well, well if you're both I'm willing, down. yeah, right. you guys are sailing <laughs> good through. Job. Wow. Uh, if you're both willing, let's have you both answer it. Um, Emily mentioned genograms. I think, Angie, you'd be familiar with a genogram. I am familiar, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the simplest way I know to ask it is we've all been given traits from our family. Some of them are really helpful. Mm-hmm. Some of them get in the way. Mm-hmm. Would you both be willing to give us one trait that's a real asset in your leadership and then one that's a real liability? Um, mine, uh, and, and usually I think this is true, it's the flip side. You know, it's like the, 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 the dark side or whatever. The other twisted. side of the right, coin, exactly. yeah. The other side of the coin. So um, I can tell you a few few quick things about my upbringing that you'll just go, oh, okay, that explains a lot. So I'm I was adopted at five days old into adoptive family with two mentally ill parents. So I mean, if you do any trauma work, you just go, okay, well, Bing, 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 you know, yeah. check the list, right, of all this stuff. So um, I've had to fend for myself for almost all my life and in many ways, emotionally and stuff, and have done a lot of work around that. Um, so that is an incredible skill at, I'm, I'm almost fearless. You know, I just get things done. I mean, I'm self-motivated. I'm just highly driven. Um, so that's a great gift, you know. Um, it makes me in some ways a very high-functioning leader. But um, the flip side of that is that... Um, you know, I, I have had to learn to tend to the emotional side and, you know, um, be present to that and to not run over people, that type of thing. So I, does that That's answer great. your question? That's a great answer. Yeah. Um, I think for me, um, a, a trait that I have noticed is that um, my family is very um, intentional about being strong and being independent. And I think the dark side of that is that Um, we're not very good at asking for help when we need it. So I've learned that it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to have other people support um, me and the things that I need. Um, So that's been a trait that I've recognized. And I think another trait, um, my family, we play card games a lot. And I think I've, um, I just love having fun and I love like, being together with people like around a dinner table or something and being able to channel that joy. Um, so yeah, those are the two main ones. Awesome. All right. Uh, let's just have one of you answer this next one. One of the guaranteed ways that a leader can be anxious is when they make a mistake in front of other people. So would one of you be willing to tell us about a recent mistake you've made and how you recovered from it? I'm I'm thinking, but so I mean I'm not unwilling to go, but I'm <laughs> thinking. So, yeah, yeah. Um, does it have to be a big one, a big mistake? I was okay. Say some of my mis- things are things that I feel I beat myself up over. Yep, those count. Yeah, it's that, really okay. about your own internal anxiety, right. not about the size of the mistake. Yeah. All right, I've got one. All right. um, 
So when coronavirus first was starting to happen, um, the church was looking for uh, Lysol wipes and just disinfecting things. And I thought I was being helpful. I had found this website where you could get like an eight pack of Lysol wipes for like $8. And I was very excited about it that I had finally found like the perfect package and the the website said that it would like ship right away. And I was like, perfect. This is so great. And um, my best friend, Alex, she had messaged all the staff to make sure that they um, could pick up wipes whenever they could. And I was like, oh my gosh, I found this link of these Lysol wipes. And that's a great deal. And like three people bounced back on the conversation and they were like, do you know if this is a scam or not? Like, is this legit? Are you sure that this is okay? And I was like, I was probably fine. But like there were 64 responses that it was called cleanyos.com. <laughs> it was like not even a legit website. Right. So, never guess. Yeah. So if I didn't have those people there, I probably would have cost the church a lot of money. So how did you recover? What's what's your internal process? Um, I think I've learned to just laugh at myself. Okay. Um, and that will take a lot of the anxiety off of me and other people. Um, there's like always the shame of like, oh my gosh, Emily, you should have done this and should have done that. Yeah. But I think, um, I'm learning to be okay with kind of, um, my take at problems, but also to learn from them. So whenever I will look for Lysol wipes, I'll just make sure that the website's legit. (laughs) All right. Good. Um, I, I've been doing a lot of work with pastors lately and um, there's a lot of pastors that confess things backstage that they would never talk about on stage, mm-hmm. which I'm always trying to encourage them to bring it. One of them is the gap that they experience between what they teach and what they experience themselves. Mm. Mm. So they can talk about the grace of God in a way that will make someone cry, mm-hmm. but they don't experience it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Do each of you have a gap between what you believe and what you experience? What would it be for you guys? I think one that I'm working with and was just talking with my spiritual director earlier this week about is um, experiencing joy. Hmm. Um, I, I, I understand it in my head. You know, I can tell people like I want I can bring freedom for others, but yeah. I have a hard time experiencing that for myself. Great. I think a subject for me is prayer. Um, I've talked about prayer quite a bit in my sermons and I have certain, um, tricks that I use to pray to God. Um, I remember growing up that I thought God was my best friend and that we would just like watch movies together and stuff. And I think as I've got older and my faith's gotten deeper, I've gone through like seasons where I don't feel like God is present, um, or whatever. But when I preach about praying to God, I know that God is tangible and I know that he listens and that he responds to us, but it so often feels like I'm praying to a brick wall. And so that can give me motivation not to pray. So that's something I'm working through. Great. Good. All right. Final question for both of you. Um, It's a simple idea. John tells us in 1 John 4 that perfect love casts out all fear. So my theology of anxiety is that it's very difficult to be in the grip of anxiety and aware of God's presence at the same time. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways to displace anxiety is to do things where you feel loved. Mm-hmm. So to that end, when in your life do you feel most fully and completely loved? Hmm. 
Do you have something to go first? I need to think for a moment. Pinball. I love pinball. Playing pinball is like one of my favorite things ever. Um, my brother had introduced me to the game and whenever we play together, he like tells me there's actually rules to pinball and there are like logistics to it. So that's been really fun. Um, is pinball a solo sport for you or it's more fun with people? So I get, ir sometimes I get irritated playing with people because that means I get less quarters. <laughs> um, but I do like the community of just being in an arcade together or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just love playing games. Um, so that's one of them. And then the, another, another thing that comes to my mind is sometimes my nieces will FaceTime me and my youngest niece, Lexi, she'll read me a book or um, they'll just play together or my oldest nieces will like do a dance show for me. And um, I feel really loved then. Hmm. Yeah. Great answer. I feel loved with my dog, our beagle, um, and this is our, well, technically third, but second long-term one. It, like, he just, he's he's so quick to forgive, mm -hmm. you know, if I don't play with him, like, the, right at that moment, like, I'm working on something, you know, kind of <laughs> thing. And uh, at night, he sleeps on our in our bed, and so at night, I just, his, his body just kind of there and warm is comforting to me. I just feel, I don't know, it's safe, but just... I don't know. There's something to that. So yeah, or or when I so when I you know walk him in the evening, there's just a hey, we're, this is our adventure together. So he like he doesn't need anything. He just loves whatever I can give him, you know, and doesn't really need anything except if I don't feed him when I you know. <laughs> he'll remind me. He'll yeah. bring his bowl like Snoopy. He'll like Willie clang really. it. Yeah, I'll hear this. First he'll kind of he'll, he'll sit on my feet and go this. He'll sit there like staring at me like, do you notice me here? Do you notice? <laughs> Look at the clock. And then then he'll maybe like scratch, kind of paw at my leg. And then maybe he'll go, mm. <laughs> And then if it's really bad, then he'll go over to his bolt and their metal, kind of stainless steel. So he'll do this clang. Like, all right. <laughs> I get awesome. it. Yeah. But it's our little love language. Nice. Yeah. Hey, ladies, thank you guys both. This is a really rich conversation. So thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for thank having you. us. Yeah. Fun to be here with Emily. Yay. High five. Virtual yeah. five. For more resources, visit stevecuswords.com or missyoualliance.org.